Leshy is an inveterate gambler, and even though he tries to quit, he never can. He often gambles with other Leshy, the Voldianoi, and different nature spirits, with the wages being the resources of their domain, be it forest, lake, underground, or mountain. In 1843, there was a great squirrel migration, with Russian squirrels crossing the Ural Mountains to Europe. Scholars and scientists of that era could find no reason as to why the squirrels were doing this. But the country folk knew exactly what was happening. A Russian leshy was just paying off his gambling debt to another leshy that lived over the Urals, sending the victor all the squirrels in his forest as his winnings. people out there in the hinterlands. It's Rockin' Max, and we're going to be your guides as we trek through the forest primeval in Eastern Europe here on Nightmares and Daydreams. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And of course, fun. Max, my man, as we always say, fun is important. Hell yes, it is. We all deserve a bit more fun nowadays. We deserve a ton of fun. You ain't lying, my friend. That said, Maxie, do you want to know what's not funny? Well, from past experiences, I'm guessing you're going to tell me. You know I am. Heading out for a dip in your local pond, only to be abducted by the Vodyanoi, who drags you down to his watery lair and forces you to be his servant for eternity. He might even put your soul in a jar. You know, for fun. That's pretty much my definition of not fun. I hate being in a jar. We are heading into the wilds of Slavic lore as the Vodyanoi episode of 5 Minutes of Folklore got the most votes from you guys and gals out there. Yeah, as we say in our 5 Minutes of Folklore episodes, you want to hear more? Let us know. And so they did. And so we cracked the books, we learned the lore, we drank the wine, we ate the food. Well, Rock, as you know, you're never supposed to eat the food or drink the wine when you're in the realm of the Fae. Realm of the Fae would actually be kind of a cool name for a restaurant. A vegan restaurant, though, you know, serving mushrooms and barley wine. <laughs> Luckily, Max, I was in my own damn kitchen and not in the land of the Fae. But that's a great PSA for the less learned among our listeners. If ever you're in fairy people, as you are wont to do, <laughs> don't eat the food or drink the wine. Y'all seen Pan's Labyrinth, right? Yeah. You know, you're going to have to violate the sacred rites of hospitality if ever you want to return to your loved ones because you may end up trapped forever. All right, Max, where were we? You were going on about how we cracked the books on Slavic lore. And so we did, gang, because you asked for it. We created an entire pod of the Vojinoi's Slavic compatriots. You speak true, Max. So before we begin, let's let our listeners know, at least geographically, roughly the area we're talking about, where Slavic myths stem from, shall we? Lead on. Do it, Professor. So, according to the great scholars on the interwebs, <laughs> there are approximately, no, well, exactly 13 Slavic countries. And here they are in alphabetical order, because I'm a very orderly type of person. Yes, you are. You have two libraries. <laughs> Belarus, Bosnia, Bulgaria, Croatia, 
Czech Republic or Czechia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Poland, Russia, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia. Y'all thought that was the same thing, didn't you? I did. And the Ukraine. You know, Max, and here I thought Romania was a Slavic country. I thought Romania would be in that number for sure. Well, I'm not an expert myself, but I believe Romania has Slavic elements in its culture. But I think it has more ties to ancient Balkan and Mediterranean cultures. It's more Latin, actually, and even its language is Latin-based. And that's one to grow on, kids. Play it cool, stay in school. Thank God for Wikipedia. You know, Max, it's like the Encyclopedia Britannica, but way less cumbersome and in many cases way less accurate. <laughs> so what's the first Slavic myth we want to throw out here? Well, we've already discussed the Vodyanoi, so let's take a look at his land-bound counterpart, that lord of the forest, the Leshy. like the Vodyanoi. Not a being you really want to piss off, right? I mean, you can piss them off if you're not in their domain, am I right? Stay out of the water if you want to piss off the Vodyanoi, and stay out of the forest if you want to piss off the Leshy, but technically, <laughs> you really can't piss them off unless they can hear you. So to do that, you'd have to be in their domain, so forget what the hell I said earlier. I'm just talking in circles here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to forget it. You done? Affirmative. Lead on, sir. Thanks. So does the Leshy have different names depending on location, like the Vodyanoi does, who also goes by Vodnik... Grandfather, Wasserman, or Hosterman, depending on the locale? You know he does, Max. He also goes by the Borovoy, the Leshak, the Lesnik, and the Verava, just to name a few. Got some regional name-calling going on over there. And you called him the Lord of the Forest. Care to expound? You know, there's not a lot to expound on. He's merely the Supreme Forest Spirit in whatever forest he's inhabiting. All the animals in said forest belong to him, and wise hunters make sacrifices to the Leshy as their way of asking permission to enter his forest and for taking one of his animals for safe passage, that sort of thing. And just an FYI, this Leshy worship or veneration is still practiced in some remote regions today. He's both feared and revered in those ancient Eastern European forests. Sounds like a powerful entity. He is, man. He's a shadowless. He's a relentless shapeshifter. He can mimic voices and commands the weather. And like I said earlier, all the animals in his forest. But isn't the Baba Yaga the boss of the forest? Well, she's a boss in the forest, but the Leshy is the lord of the forest, uh -huh. the spirit of the woods themselves. The Baba Yaga is a straight-up supernatural gangster who will sup on your bones if you look at her wrong, though. Or you don't have a magical doll at your disposal, like Vasilisa the Brave. Good distinction to make, right? So Russian books from the 18th century issued warnings to their readers concerning the Leshy. And this is a passage. In the olden days when forests were larger and thicker than they are now, the Leshy would always be deluding travelers and making them lose their way. Trickster spirits, always leading people to their doom. If they offend him, some tales have him helping lost travelers find their way and then giving them a bag filled with leaves. Leaves? Thank you, O oh great lord of the forest. Cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you reacted like that, then they would stay leaves or turn into snakes. But according to the lore, if you were appreciative, they would turn into gems once you left the forest. Ah, that's good to know. Let me write that down. Mm -hmm. Don't be rude to forest spirits <laughs> if they give you wacky gifts. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
Wise travelers and hunters always placated and, if possible, left offerings for the leshy before entering his domain. Awesome. And uh, unwise hunters? I'm asking for a friend. What if they just mm-hmm. tromp through his forest all willy-nilly without acknowledging the leshy? And many things can happen from, you know, them being led astray to the leshy destroying them entirely or having one of the many bears or wolves that follow him tear them to bits. Either way, take the time to appease him if you're about to hunt in his domain. Offering bread and salt before you go in is a time-tested way to, uh, you know, placate him. Okay, so are there many ways of protecting yourself from the leshy? You know, folk remedies abound from the classic making the sign of the cross. It's also good against Dracula. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. I think you have to be wearing a cross. But hey, anyway, we already said we're not talking about Romania today, and that includes Transylvania. Dang, look at you, Dr. Geography. Any other ways of protecting yourself from the lash? Yeah, okay, so making the sign of the cross. Praying is another way to keep him at bay. Also, and this is a classic when it comes to fairy lore, and that's wearing your clothes inside out, which includes wearing your shoes on the wrong feet. Word. Close on backwards defense is pretty ubiquitous folklore-wise. Faux show. So, a lot of the same ways one would protect oneself from the good folk, one can use against the tricks of the lash. Yep. Or, or, you can just call in Geralt of Rivia, <laughs> monster slayer supreme. For Max, he doth slay many a violation in The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. Here it comes. Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty, oh, valley of plenty. Break it down. Toss a coin to your witcher, a friend of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, the leshy is best avoided, y'all. Wise advice. And quick question. Does he, like the Vodjanoi, have a wife? I know we talked about how many of the Slavic spirits are paired up as husband and wife. We did talk about that. And like the Rusalka as the Vodjanoi's wife. We'll talk more about her later. Again, like the Rusalka as the Vodjanoi's wife, the Lesovica is the Leshi's wife. And any Leshi kids are called Leshonki. So what does he look like? I mean, as far as the lore is concerned. We know the Vodjanoi looks like a fat, frog-faced old man. No offense to any <laughs> Vodjanois out there. Don't be getting all mad, fatties. Well, like I said earlier, he's a shapeshifter and is able to pretty much transform into anything he wants, from giant bear with horns to a peasant, hunter, woodcutter, in his forest, you know, to a gust of wind. He's sometimes seen as an older man with antlers on his head attended to by wolves, and in his forest he can be taller than the trees or small as a blade of grass. So let's get into a leshy tale, shall we? Da, I am, as they say in Mother Russia, all ears. One day, an old woman was walking through the forest when she heard a baby wailing in the distance. At first, she was too scared to investigate because she knew it could very well be a leshy trying to lead her off the trail. However, soon her maternal instincts took over and she made her way toward the sound. In a meadow near the path, she found a child shivering from the cold. The babe was covered in soft green fur But the old woman picked him up anyway, whispering soothing words. Soon, the baby stopped crying and was fast asleep as it rested comfortably in the old woman's arms. Just then, the Lesovica, the Leshi's wife, came bursting into the clearing. 
Where's my baby? She asked, her green face covered with worry. Don't worry about him. He's sound asleep and comfortable, said the old woman. My thanks for your kindness, the Lesovica said. I thought he was lost to me. Let me reward you. And she handed the old woman a pot of burning coal. The old woman smiled and bowed, too polite to refuse the odd gift. She took the pot of coals and started home. When she arrived, she found to her surprise that the coals were not coals after all, but large nuggets of pure gold. See, Max, the old woman appreciated the odd gift the less she gave her, and she was richly rewarded. And now she can leave her dank, dirty old hut and buy a palatial log cabin in the hip part of the village. You know, the ones surrounded by pubs and shopping. <laughs> I mean, it's always good to be respectful to powerful forest spirits, am I right? Those slobs know what's up, respecting the forest and whatnot. Do we have any idea how long ago or what the origin was of the Leshy? Nothing super concrete. The Slavs apparently didn't keep very succinct records. In fact, the Slavs can only be traced back to the 6th century, and even though they have a super rich tapestry of superstitions and folklore, scholars posit that it was passed down in the oral tradition because there are very few writings. Which is always the best way to pass down lore, right? Yep, better than text messages, that's for show. So they have no idea like, where the belief or understanding of him came about, I guess. There's always origin stories, and some claim that the Aleshi are angelic-type beings that fell to the earth after the Great War in Heaven, while other legends have kind of a very demonic or infernal origins to his story. Mm -hmm. In some legends, he has cloven hooves and horns, and we all know where that image came from. Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> exactly. The Aleshi is from Narnia. All right, so let's move on and talk about the Rusalka. Got it. What do you want to know? What you got? Our listeners will recognize the Rusalka as the much-put-upon wife of the very jealous Vodianoi. So old grandfather is a jealous one, huh? Most otherworldly entities are. Okay, so we've established that the Rusalka is the Vodianoi's wife. Tell us a bit more about her. Well, she's a seasonal spirit, right? And she can be spotted right around Holy Thursday. Is that like uh, TGIF? More like TGIT, Rock. Ah, uh, well played. So during this time, they hang out on riverbanks, lakes, streams, combing their long green hair. Very siren or mermaid-like. After the sixth week of Easter, they move into the forest and beg for small pieces of linen from people they run across. Quick question, what happens if you run into one and you don't have any linen? Always have linen handy, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you get in the forest during this time, keep it on you. So nothing good happens, huh? Nope. And then during the seventh week of Easter, they hunt for feathers, straw, and down to build warm nests in their underwater palaces, which, of course, they share with the Vodjanoi. Okay, so that can't be good. Stay out of the water, kids, if you don't make sure to wear your holy medal. And also during the seventh week of Easter, while the Rusalka is busy feathering her nest, mm -hmm. all humans should skip work that week. If you do end up working, there's a good chance you might end up losing livestock and possibly your life. Damn. Respect the spirits, y'all. Hey, you know, who doesn't want a week off? You feel me? 
Hey, just to be safe, I often take random other weeks off. I know, like you're not even here right now. You're so off. Mm -hmm. Also during this time, young women seek out Rysalkas and offer them garlands in hopes that the Rysalka will give them glimpses of future husbands. Why people always got to see who they're going to marry, Max, kind of ruins the mystery. You play with fire that way. What if you give her a garland and she shows you some kind of Kazimoto-looking guy? Girls like do-over. Better hope he's rich. Listen, Max, old Quasi had a heart of gold and he was super athletic, swinging all over Notre Dame on ropes and ringing bells and whatnot. <laughs> anyway, man, what else you got for us? So on the Sunday of the seventh week, they begin walking in the grain fields, moving amongst them all invisible-like. Sneaky. After that they begin dancing in the fields. Break it down. Which, according to the lore, makes the fields grow extra well. Hmm. So in some regions, a good harvest is a sign of a rusalka favoring your fields. Rusalka dance moves are the best fertilizer in the world. Fact. Very regimented, these rusalkas, Max. Yeah, I said they were seasonal. And then, of course, finally winter arrives and they hibernate under the lakes and streams that they have made their homes in. And they're not seen again till the following spring, just like Brother Bear. So what are their attitudes toward people? Are they friend or foe? Hot and cold, according to the lore. Because she lives such a harsh life as the Vajanoi's wife, she's often harsh in dealing with humans she runs across who perhaps can't answer a riddle she asks or don't know a specific song. Hmm. Or if she catches you bathing at night with no holy metal, she might just drown you entirely. If you can't answer a riddle, she'll probably just tickle you to death. Damn, all the fun things. Okay, listen, during our future trek to the Balkans in Eastern Europe, let's wear our holy medals, okay? <laughs> and according to the lore, Rusalkas are young women who have either committed suicide by drowning due to an unhappy marriage, or who were forcibly drowned themselves by their lovers, often due to an unwanted child or something like that. Another legend states that they're the souls of young women who died near a river or lake, Damn. regardless of in what fashion. Wow. So any way you look at it, a pretty sad origin. And then, of course, the Vodjanoi takes them, which, you know, sounds like it's not a picnic. Not a great afterlife. And mm -mm. just as a PSA, Rusalka are the most dangerous during Rusalka week, which happens in early June. Damn, they have their own week? Better than Shark Week, no doubt. Overhyped, in my opinion. So during Rusalka Week, or Rusalnaya, they leave behind the rivers and streams and lakes and head into the forests to swing on willow and birch branches. During this week, it's best not to swim lest they take you down to their watery lair. Okay, so we take a week off of work for the seventh week of Easter's and stay out the water for a week in early June during Rusalka Week. Seems pretty reasonable to me. Especially when the alternatives are drowning, loss of livestock, all the bad things. Totally. Okay, so are there any other Slavic water spirits we should know about? You know, if we're going to vacation there one day. A host, actually. The Vila, the Boginka, Navia, Mavka. These water spirits are all related to Rusalka because of the belief that each of the aforementioned water spirits are the souls of dead girls or young women. Hmm. They're looked upon as unclean spirits or even a form of undead. Man, so we're going to have to bring our mace of disruption as well. Show is sad. Exactly. Ready for a story? Always.
Though some Rusalka were murderers of men, luring their victims to a watery grave with their legendary beauty, there were some who fell in love with mortals. This is the tale of a Rusalka who left her lake so that she might marry a prince. The main condition to the success of their union was a simple one. So long as the prince remained faithful to his fairy bride, she could stay and live and thrive among the mortals. Years passed and their marriage was a happy one. The prince was proud of his bride, whose hair moved in soft waves as if she were underwater. But soon he betrayed her, as mortals will, and the fairy left, brokenhearted, to return to her watery realm. The prince, filled with regret, realized his mistake and he began searching for her. Finally, near her lake, he called her name and she swam to the surface at once, her face shining, yet filled with sadness. I love, I you, love you, he called out again and went to embrace her. As quick as water, she moved away, warning him that she was fully in her nature and her element and that the touch of a Rusalika meant death for mortal man. He only shook his head and gathered her in his arms and kissed her, begging her forgiveness. The prince died then and there, his soul taken by the Rusalka, widowed by her very own fey nature. She was left to mourn her mortal prince for all eternity. She killed him entirely, Maxie, but with a cold embrace. That's what I call the cold shoulder. Show us wrong how she killed that cheating fool. Hey, she tried to warn him. No, you know, you're right, and it's sad, of course, but had he just been faithful, all that grief could have been avoided. Am I right? Possibly, but then you ask yourself this. She's immortal. He's not. Had to end sometime, right? Nothing lasts forever, or so the poets say. Well, someone said it. Ask yourself this. Where the hell is the Vodyanoi in this story, right? Was she just a cool single Rusalka, kind of living in a lake on her own without the fat grandfather watching over her? The Vodyanoi are very socially liberal, you know. <laughs> I guess they're not as jealous as we thought. <laughs> okay, so Slavic myth has so many spirits. I mean, demons, warlocks, imps, vampires, just so many fantastical beings. How do we choose what's next? Well, let's do a bit of a rapid fire and unpack some of the perhaps lesser known myths, shall we? Do it up. I'll start with a Porolniech, which, if you've played The Witcher 3... Don't you dare sing again. Max, you would sing too if you would just play the damn game, which is steeped in Slavic myth. Okay, so in The Witcher 3, there's a classic quest for a creature called a botchling, which is a version of the Poroniech. So what is it? So it's a spirit of a stillborn fetus that was buried without a name or funeral. Reminds me of a myling, which is a Scandinavian, if I recall correctly. You do recall correctly. The spirit of the child can become quite malicious and dangerous hunting for its mother, but willing to slay any living being that it runs across. Okay, let's talk about the Vurilak. Okay, so sounds a bit like the Virgolakis, which is a Greek vampire, if I'm not mistaken. The Vortilak is a vampire out of the Slavic myth. And the rub with this guy is he really just wants to convert his whole family into joining the ranks of the undead and turn them all. Just supping on the blood of your kinfolks, as you do. <laughs> Stay away, you gnarly undead relative. Just hold on a second whilst I place witch herbs, cold iron, and garlic all around my windows and doors. <laughs> Piss off. Makes me think of a story, actually, about an undead relative. I always knew you had some undead relatives. Starting with your mummy, 
What? I'm not even responding to that horrible joke. (laughs) Just tell your story. Okay. There was a young married couple, and they were living happily, so happily that everyone envied their love. Boring. The end. No. (laughs) And soon the woman bore a lovely child. But sadly, she died as she gave birth to him. Tragically all too common back in the day, man. The husband grieved deeply and struggled over how to care for the child. For though he could give him love, he could not give him nourishment. Finally, a nurse was found to care for the child. But the child would take nothing from her. He had no appetite for milk and cried constantly. Changing baby happens all the time. You would think. But weeks passed and he still would eat nothing. Yet, he seemed to be thriving nevertheless. Okay, so probably not a changeling, because those fey babies we each had a house and home, drink all your whiskey, and play the hell out of your fiddle when you're not around. <laughs> so the boy's father began to keep vigil, determined to figure out what was happening. In the evening, he pretended to sleep, despite the baby's incessant crying, keeping a candle covered by his bed. One night, at midnight, the door creaked open, and a dim figure crept in. It went to the cradle and lifted the child, which immediately quieted. Sounds pretty creepy. The father uncovered the candle, shining light across the room, where he saw the dead mother suckling her infant son. Wow. Zombie mama (laughs) feeding... Her non-zombie baby. Tragic, dude. Horrifying. I don't know if they have zombies in uh, Slavic culture, but yeah. Hmm. Well done, man. That was creepy. A mother's love is undying. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the mother, too. Lady Stoneheart from GOT, anybody? <laughs> Got another creature? Yeah, let's talk about the Dwiozona. You care to take a guess? No clue on this one. Okay, she's a female demon that inhabits swamps. Like the Rusalka? Well, the Rusalka's not a demon, but she inhabits the waterways. So, more on that in just a bit. She's known to kidnap babies and replace them with her own. Ah, so she's doing the changeling action that you were talking about, huh? Yeah, and apparently. And uh, Zwiwozona was as ugly as the Rusalka were beautiful. But some scholars posit that she and the Rusalka are the same creatures in different locations with different habits. Okay, it's possible. Let's talk about the Bobak. New to me, what's the Bobak? Okay. Bobak is a Slavic demon who could change shapes. Pretty standard. So they could be a dwarf or a white dog or a cat. In the Polish city of Lutz, the Bobak was said to be a changeling left by the demon Bobinka Mamuna. So, hey, more changeling activity. Seems to be rife in Eastern Europe. Man, the Fae love to leave their kids in mortal cradles, don't they? Raise your own damn kids. <laughs> well, we got the better food in colleges, so there you go. That's probably debatable. Mushrooms and barley wine just might rock, Maxie. Eh, never know. So let's talk about Liko, which according to the lore is the manifestation of misfortune, bad luck, or evil fate. And what form does this barrel of fun take? It's usually a one-eyed, emaciated old man or woman, or a monstrous goblin. And interesting enough, Liko is not a name, but a noun meaning ill luck. And there are tons of proverbs that use them, such as don't wake Liko while it's quiet. On a very similar to let sleeping dogs lie. Anyway, you slice it, you want to stay away from Liko. Mm-hmm. 
We talked about how prevalent husband and wife pair-ups are in Slavic folklore. True. You got another one? Yeah, we've talked about the Domovoy in earlier podcasts, the Russian house spirit. We love him. He lives behind the stove in the house, takes care of the family, things around the house. His name literally translates to household lord. Yeah, that's my nickname around my house, lord of the household. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Yeah, I totally do. Okay, so the Domovoy has a wife. Again, the folklore is very regional. In some aspects and areas, he's a singleton, you know, living the nightlife, howling at the moon, drinking with the boys. As you do back in the day. Yep. And in some, he's hitched. Yeah. And I believe the Domovoy's wife is also featured in the Witcher franchise. Care to guess? Huh. Witcher. Fuck. Okay. Like I said earlier, dude, there's so many monsters in that game. Let me see. Yeah, five seconds. Okay, okay. I got this. I got this. Let's go. Geralt will be upset if you don't get it. Okay, well, how about a hint? Okay. So this creature is in mm -hmm. both the video game and the Netflix series. Oh, okay. Well, that narrows it down some. I, well, it sure as hell ain't the Striga, but she's not in the wild hunt anyway. Hmm. Man, there's a creature out of episode one that was in both the video game and the series, but it doesn't match a nice wife for the friendly Domovoy. Come on, what you rock? Okay, screw it. Uh, Kikimora? Well done. Really? Dude, in the game and the show, the Kikimor is that insect spider-like creature with a humanoid head. Not wife material. <laughs> yeah, according to the lore, the Kikimora is a house spirit. Huh. Very much in the spirit of the Domovoy, and she lives behind the stove or in the cellar. So she's shacking up with the Domovoy. Those crazy kids, they're in love. So there are two types of Kikimoras, actually. Forest... Or swamp, and the forest kikimoras are the ones that marry the domovoi. Yeah, those forest ones are outlandishly promiscuous. You don't want a swampy kikimora. The last thing you want is a swampy kikimora in your house. <laughs> just, just sort of rough. So, Max, <laughs> is uh, she the typical house spirit? Cleaning, helping with the kids, beating up lazy servants, like that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, but she mixes it up outside and keeps the animals in order as well. That is some free supernatural labor right there, y'all. Very much akin to the Irish puka who is known to help on the farm as long as he's rewarded with some goodies like porridge at night. And of course, if a servant eats his porridge... Not a good move. Yep, the puka leaves a farm and beats the servant for taking its food. Just desserts, baby. If you're lucky enough to have supernatural farmhands or servants, don't eat their food, people. Yes, they do the work for you. Like, geez, just let them do their thing and let them have their porridge, all you lazy servants out there. Wise words, Max. So, gang, with that last bit of lore, I believe we are done. Thanks for hanging out with Max and myself during these trying times. It is so much appreciated. And even if we take your mind off all the wacky stuff going on right now, then our mission is accomplished. 100% rock. If you find folks want to support the podcast, please do head on over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast for a delicious one-time donation so that Rock and I can maintain our caffeine addiction. It's much appreciated. Mm -mm, I'm drinking coffee right now. Also, we have that Patreon page up at patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast. We'll continually add new content and the tier started a buck a month for a shout out and y'all can cancel anytime. We've added Rock's Relaxing Reads, Max's Myth, and additional music by the great and powerful Teresa Joy. 
Speaking of the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy gives us that amazing sound that so many of you have commented on. Yeah, she does. Find and follow her at Viobrite on Facebook and Instagram. And check out her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. And I know we ask often and we will continually keep asking, gang, but please keep on heading over to whatever podcast you listen to us on and grant us that boon of a five-star review. Or do us one better and take the time out to write a quick review for us. It helps get our podcast out there, y'all. Thanks in advance. Also, join us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All that. We'd love to hear from y'all. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more of. Finally, head on over to our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net and holler at your boys. We'd love to hear from y'all. Maybe pick up a bit of that merch you've been eyeing. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.